0: Welcome back to the Early Way In Podcast. This week's UFC Jacksonville. It's live on ABC, and I always love an early day of fights there. UFC gave us an absolute killer main event as well. We've got top 10 featherweights, Josh Emmett versus Ilya Taporia there. And in the co main event, Amanda Rebus taking on Macy Barber. Uh, Right now, we're sitting at a total of 14 fights. And to be honest with you, it's a pretty solid card. Uh, the last time the UFC was in Jacksonville, the first live crowd, I believe, post-COVID, and they were nuts, showed up from the first fight. UFC's got them a, a nice, fun fight to kick off the night as well. Uh, man, before we jump into things, the better fights and our favorite bets on the card, make sure to do us a quick favor. Like the video, as always. Sub to the channel if you haven't yet before. And uh, in the comments section below, let us know who you guys have in the uh, main event and co-main event. As far as uh, casual cap goes... You managed to, I guess, weasel you away out of wearing it two weeks in a row, Uh, but uh, I was able to walk away with a little bit of profit last week, but I was seconds away from having a very, very good night. I'll pass it over to you to recap how UFC Vegas 75 finished up for us.
1: Yeah, so since uh, transitioning to this StreamYard uh, podcast, we got to figure out how we're going to do the uh, casual cap moving forward. But yes, I should be wearing it now. Um, We'll look at your card first. Uh, Manuel Torres versus Nick Lamata. you had 1.5 units on him at minus 180. I thought that he was going to get caught. You know, I knew that yeah, I had, that had some <laughs> questions about him leaving his chin up in the air, and he did get touched, but um, was able to pull through, get get a solid win right there, um, and cast you just about a unit right there. Your second straight bet was on Nicholas Dalby as your dog. You thought about doubling down on it, um, it was a good read nonetheless. You had him, uh, plus 160 for a unit. And you ended up your straight pick section plus 2.43 units. Your biggest play on the night uh, was the one that killed your night from having a good night to a, mm-hmm. from having a great night into just a good night. And it was your uh, over two and a half rounds in the main event and then under two and a half rounds in the Saryukian Silva co-main event. And uh, I don't think you were alone, man. Not many people thought that Joaquin Silva would be able to withstand uh, Saryukian's pressure for that long. Right. Um, so that was that was quite a surprise to a lot of people. Um, you also had Costa inside the distance. Jimmy Flick looks uh, like a shell of himself. I don't think yes. that he has a, a future in the in the UFC. Um, and then you finished off with a parlay of the over one and a half rounds with the first fight on the card, Modestus Bukowskis versus Zach Palga. And then you had the under two and a half rounds in the Nicholas Mata versus Manuel Torres. You kind of talked on that being somewhat of a hedge for your straight bet on Manuel Torres. Mm. Um, After watching that fight play out, I think the under two and a half hits there at like a minus 1000. So (laughs) definitely a good play. Uh, You ended up the night plus one point eight seven units with a twenty nine percent ROI. Definitely a good night. Uh, Looking over at my card, it's uh, it's an easy one to accept because I didn't get screwed out of anything. You know, (laughs) Uh, I made three bad reads on my straight picks Um, at my first bet that you guys are seeing are the Mar- is the Marvin Vittori for two units. And um, when that fight started off, he landed those two straight lefts, And I thought that, you know, I was like, Oh, this is easy money right here. Made the perfect read. He's going to be able to do this for 25 minutes. Uh, that was not the case. Jared Cannonier proved that he still has some gas left in the tank. Um, and, and definitely earned himself that victory there. Um, the Lucas Almeida versus Pat Sabatini. I was debating on picking Almeida all week. And then I saw the weigh-ins and I was like, yeah, You know what? I love the size advantage that helps. So it it pushed me over the edge and uh, ended up being just an awful read. Lucas Almeida didn't have anything and he's really going to have to patch up some holes if he does want to have a future in the UFC. Um, Christian Quinonez. Another one that I feel like it was kind of forced. Um, I didn't have many plays on the card, and as that as the uh, fight night got closer, that line continued to drop. And you know, I said if I could get under minus one fifty, um, I'd probably throw something on it. I ended up doing it, and Kyung Hu Kang came out, did some work, looked really yeah. good there. Um, so three just bad reads on the card. My best uh, my best read on the card, only play that hit was the fight ends by TKO and the Nicholas Mata versus Manuel Torres. Uh, No shot that that ends any other way. Uh, I really like that play for what it's worth. It was minus 175, and I hit that for 1.75 units. I ended up the night going one and three, but only minus three units on the night. For as poor as uh, that that is, minus three units is somewhat manageable, so I I will take it with a grain of salt and just look to find some better plays on this card. We'll start off this card with our main event in the featherweight division, Ilya Teporia taking on Josh Emmett. And, I mean, I I don't think that we could put on a more exciting fight at 145 pounds in this one right here, man. Both guys known for their finishing ability. Um, And with this 12-year age gap difference between the two, I think we're about to find out if this is going to be a a passing of the torch type situation or a veteran still proving he has gas left in the tank uh, for one last run, similar, similar to last week with Marvin Vittori and Jared Cannonier.
0: Yeah.
1: Honestly, I'm not too hopeful that Emmett has what it takes at this point in his career to fight through this insanely talented young class of prospects coming up uh, to earn his way back into this title picture. And I can't find it anywhere for the life of me, but I swear leading up into his uh, Yair Rodriguez fight, he mentioned that he was kind of holding back some surgeries that he thinks that he'll do after his retirement and that's just something that's not going to get better with time. Um, so I, I don't like that look at all. Josh has also always been marketed as some huge KO artist. And while he does have the highlight reel to back that up, um, since re entering that top 10 in 2019, he has struggled to find that knockout that came so easy earlier in his career. And, you know, it hasn't stopped him from winning, but the idea that he's going to come out here and and starch any of the top level 145ers at this point in his career, I think that that's kind of fizzled out. Um, I mean, we've seen plenty of examples of fighters losing that competitive edge far before the age of 38, and especially in these lower weight classes, there's a lot of cause for concern around Emmett leading into this fight coming off of a loss. And then I just look at Ilya Teporian. I see a, a Josh Emmett 2.0 with a much higher ceiling at 26 years old. Uh, he's finishing all of his fights inside the octagon outside of that short notice debut against Yusuf Zalal. And he's looked like an absolute killer climbing his way up through the ranks. Uh, you know, he's got the incredible power in his hands. He does a great job of mixing in those, those brutal body shots and his combinations. Um, he brings a slick grappling game to the octagon that, you know, hasn't been showcased much since that debut against Zalal um but you know i do expect him to lean on his wrestling much more in this fight than he has in his last few um now we have seen in Ilya's past few fights specifically the the jai herbert fight that forward pressure and intensity that he brings can cause him some trouble with opponents that are willing to trade with him and you, you know Ilya's never been beaten so i do think that in his mind right now he feels invincible you know like when he gets caught with a, a clean shot, I feel like it, it hurts his ego just as much as it hurts anything. And he you know he lets his emotions get the best of him and he just wants he wants to flip that switch into brawl mode and get that strike back. And while it's amazing to watch as a fan, um, I do think that that arrogance that he carries with him being this young undefeated stud will end up getting him caught eventually. I'm just not sure that Josh Emmett is going to be the guy to do it. Right. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, I-, I think Ilya's got Josh covered everywhere. That cardio is still an unknown for Taporia. So it's tough to cap into this matchup. Um, but, you know, the way these two fight, I don't think that the judges' scorecards are going to be needed anyway. Um, I think if they stay trading on the feet, Ilya has this six out of 10 times. I think if Ilya decides to mix in his grappling, which I do expect he wins this seven to eight out of 10 times. Um, Sadly, that lines right up where his line is sitting at 340. Um, So that being said, I I truly believe that Emmett could come out here and shock the world 20, 25% of the time flatlining him with a KO. Uh, But I I don't really think that that's going to happen. So Uh, betting wise I'm struggling to find an angle that I like Uh, interested to hear your thoughts on
0: this one P. Uh, you won't get a whole lot of different thoughts from me to be honest with you and you you, you know you talked about how just it's one of the most exciting fights to put on in the division right now talk about how you know this one thank god it's in front of a crowd because it fireworks are written all over it Um, and within it Uh, you know, you kind of touched on it as well. He's coming off a a shot at gold. And so the UFC is not doing him any favors, you know, matching them up with their young new stud of a prospect in Ilya Taporia. This guy was one who, you know, leading up to that was extremely vocal about getting his title shot about getting touching gold. Um, And you know, now that you've come up short at 38 years old, knowing, like you said, you're going to have to go Win three or four more in a row, likely beat two or three of these nice up-and-coming prospects. You just got to wonder where the head's at, where the one, the motivation is as well. And to be honest with you, I think he's a pretty—I um, don't want to say one-dimensional fighter, uh, but he is kind of a one-dimensional fighter. You know, you—he you, does train an alpha male. I guess he has some above-average wrestling. He used it against Yair to an extent, but um, you know, Yair is somebody that everybody looks to take down. I don't find him—I don't see him having much success with his wrestling here. I see him resulting to uh, the brawling boxing that he kind of always goes to. Um, And while, you know, Toporia definitely doesn't offer the same type of dangers at kickboxing range of somebody like Yair, it does kind of give me some pause for concern on Ilya's minus 340 that he is going to have to close the distance and somewhat give Josh the potential fight that he wants here. But as far as skill set-wise, I just think he's a bit better in, in everywhere. You know, you talked about if he mixes in his grappling, he's a much bigger favorite. I mean, much, much bigger grappling upside here, much, uh, you know, like higher to potential to finish with a submission on the mat. Anytime you see the guy taken down, he's right back to his feet. Um, on the feet, I think he's a whole lot cleaner than him, and I think things come a whole lot straighter instead of the wide hooks around the side. You know, I think he's a whole lot faster. Um, and it's got the wide stance. I think Ilya's going to have a ton of you know ton of success with his calf kick. And you know, you talked about it kind of that arrogance he getting him in trouble with Jai Herbert. One, Josh Simmons not throwing a high kick like that mid combination. Uh, two, it shows me the dude has a fucking chin for one. You know, to to even really just be set down on your butt and be right back up. It was uh, it was quite impressive. It shows me that he does have durability in him. I love that he's, uh, you know, compared to Josh, I think Josh is a much more like a headhunter, home run shot kind of guy where Ilya, you know, you see it in the Jai Herbert, the Damon Jackson. It's two, three punch combinations, start switching levels to the body. Um, and I think that body work could be a big factor here. You know, it was a kick for me, I air, but it, it, it caused – it caused Emmett a lot of issues, you know, in that, in that fight. And uh, you know, Emmett looks like a guy who cuts a whole lot of weight and looks a little weak around the midsection to me, just to be honest with you. Um, you know, the biggest elephant in the room for Ilya Taporia is his ability to go a hard five if needed. Cause you know, Josh Emmett is honestly showing me time and time again, he's one of the toughest guys on the roster showing me he can go a hard five with somebody like cater Ilya shown me he can potentially have weight cutting issues to one forty five as well. Um, So the possibility of the line being wide is there at this point, but Josh isn't at the point in his career that I'm trying to stand in front of uh, Ilya Taboria. So I'm kind of struggling to find any action on the main event myself, Uh, but it's a pretty easy side to the Ilya Taboria for me as well. Uh, Co-main event-wise, Rebus versus Macy Barber, women's flyweight. You know, I guess, uh, ranking wise, they probably deserve the, the co-main event slot, but there, are uh, there's some much more exciting fights on the card, just being honest. And I think everybody knows that with Rebus, uh, definitely holds a big competition edge. Just girls fought a ton of top girls at flyweight. the wins over, you know, Verna and Mackenzie Dern are both aging well. And even in the losses to Chuke and Marina, she's has her moments. The girl's got decent footwork and a good jab, um, the one knock on her is just for a female fighter. The girl could be considered chinny. You know, she's been, she's been chin checked a couple times, knocked out a couple times. And Macy is considered, um, you know, a physical girl at times, but just being honest with you, I haven't seen that physicality of Macy translate so much since she's moved up to flyweight. Um, and it, I, it kind of brings me around to the grappling point here is that I think Amanda Rebus is just twice the grappler Macy Barber. When she gets a hold of her, she's going to find massive success macy you know watching tape back she's given up takedowns simple clinch just trip takedowns in almost every single fight jessica i is holding this girl up against the cage the entire the entire fight and to be honest with you i thought it live i thought it watching it back this week kgb lee and miranda maverick both i thought beat this girl i don't think she should be on the win streak that she's on um, but for some reason the ufc and the judges just seem to like her for some reason uh, but Rebus has also landed one takedown in every single one of her UFC fights, so I can almost trust her, um, you know, to go to it here if she if to the success that I think she's going to have, um, and just how you know Macy Barber coming through the ranks even at 115, the girl was the girl was finishing everybody, and since moving up to flyweight, you know, I think the physicality being part of it, a lot of these finishes have stopped, and e- even with the chin issues of uh, of Mindah Hevas here. I think it's kind of silly to bet on a women's TKO. You know, like I, I I don't know how often that truly happens, even with the combination that you throw in of, of Amanda's chin here. So I'm kind of stuck in a position right now because I, I truly favor Rebus to win this fight at a pretty decent clip. I've just kind of seen the line get away from me we have been killed laying women's chalk multiple times. And again, the UFC wants to push barbers for some reason. So I'm, uh, I'm likely going to sit the co-main event out as well, but uh, I think Amanda Ebus has all the tools to win the fight, man. Any thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, no, I, you, I mirror a lot of what you're saying. When you talk about rebus, you're having to lay a, a heavy price tag on her. And like you said, whether you like it or not, you have to cap in the fact that the UFC is pushing for barber, you know, like it, How many times can it happen before that becomes part of your uh, capping? You know, (laughs) Um, I do like this fight. I I feel like Macy, like you touched on, she's kind of dodged a few bullets, but I do think that she's found an opponent in Rebus who's really going to push her to either, you know, step up that level of competition or fold under the pressure. Rebus, excellent prospect and really coming into her own here at Flyweight, um, where I do think that she feels much stronger and looks to, you know, be her new home moving forward. even when she when she made her fly rate r- return against Caitlin Chukagian, I did feel like, um, you know, throwing her in there against the number one contender in the division was quite a huge step up. Um, but after that fight, I do think that she proved she deserves to be ranked among the upper echelon of that division. um with with Macy, I can't feel, but, you know, get the feeling that I'm gypped every single time she leaves the octagon. And I don't know if it's um, from a bias that I formed before, you know, when her hype train got derailed by Roxy or it's the split decisions that she keeps eking out. But um, you, you know, I don't really have much faith in her as a future future title holder. She came into the octagon um, with that raw ability to overwhelm girls with her power and athleticism. Um, and, and since she's hit, you know, some of the the more well-rounded girls of the division, it does seem that she's struggled to develop the technical side of her game um, that's needed to get past some of the girls who have solid bases and everything. Um, here against Rebus, I think she's got a, a really tough job in front of her. Rebus is sporting a nearly 90% takedown defense, which in my head translates to a standing fight if Rebus chooses. Um, and if that's the case, I do think that Rebus holds a clear technical striking edge um, where, where I do think that Macy could take advantage is that striking defense you touched on a Um while she does have that uh, great striking. She does struggle getting her head off the center line. And, you know, when Macy is in range and not shadow boxing five feet mm-hmm. out, uh, she, she does throw with a ton of power, you know? So um, it could definitely be a good fight, especially if Hebus decides to make it a, a fun fight by keeping it standing on the feet. Um, but I do expect Hebus to win at a pretty cl- high clip here as well. Um, you touched on um, Hebus getting a takedown in all of her fights. Uh, Macy Barber is given a takedown in all four of her wins that she's currently on so mm-hmm. um, I, I do expect Hebus to to wind up on top here or just, uh, Point her out to a, an easy decision win. I do expect her to get the nod on Saturday. Um, like you said, maybe not deserving of the co-main event, but but a good fight nonetheless yeah. for sure. Um, so for my fight of the night, oddly enough, I'm sticking with the women here. Uh, <laughs> I, went, I went with Tabitha Ritchie versus Jillian Robertson at Strawway. Both girls, 38 years old. Jillian with uh, quite a few more UFC fights. This one making her 15th inside the octagon. And uh, even though Robertson has certainly faced a higher level of competition, Richie, I I think she's far from green, you know, with her extensive background in combat sports and having also started her MMA career all the way back in 2013, um, I I do think that she has quite a bit experience, even though her record might not show it. Um, Outside of Richie's uh, debut, she's really been nothing short of impressive. She's got a nice three-fight win streak going, earning her first finish um, by securing that arm bar over the crafty veteran and Jessica Panay. And, you know, after watching that fight, I learned my lesson trying to fade her. I initially thought that, um, she lacked the size to be successful in the UFC, but I think that that opinion was formed when she came up against Firo and, you know, it, she just looked so small in that matchup that it was tough to shake that image, you know? Um, so either way, I, I think that she's got an excellent BJJ base and if she can effectively land takedowns here, I do think that she's going to be able to ward off the the attacks coming from Jillian off of her back. Jillian is someone who over the course of her career has really li- relied on the fact or relied on getting the fight to the mat by any means necessary um, to find success. And sometimes that comes to her detriment. And I think that here she's got a pretty tough matchup while you know Robertson has shown some pretty decent offensive wrestling. I do think that she's going to find it difficult to get in on the hips of somebody as small and as technical as Richie is here. If the fight does manage to stay on the feet, I expect it to be close. But I do uh, give the the edge to Richie here. Neither girl extremely technical with their stand up, but I do um, expect Tabitha to have an edge with her Muay Thai background. Um, you know, honestly, I see uh, Richie winning this fight. Um, at a pretty decent clip, the only thing that's holding me back is the size of Robertson, you know, and um, having proven that she can hang with some of the the bigger girls at flyweight in the past, um, I think having a significant size and height advantage here, um, you know, it could translate to her winning some of the exchanges on the feet. Um, simply by being the longer fighter, and if that is the case, I do think we're in for an excellent scrap, which is why I've made this my fight to watch. Um, so I think we're in for a really good fight, and I'm not really sure how I'm going to pick it. Uh, if, if weigh-ins happen and Richie doesn't look like she's giving up significant size,
0: uh, I might find even a spot on on Tabitha here on Saturday. I like it, man. Uh, I see a lot of action on both sides online. You know, um, I don't know if they're simping or if they really got to really got a a strong read on it. I sure. I don't. I don't really have it, to be honest with you, man. I think the girls match up pretty similar. I think they both would consider themselves grapplers first. Uh, you know, I think they both have good jujitsu. One has a little bit better jujitsu um, and Tabitha Ricci here. And I think she's also, like you said, going to be the bit, the bit better striker. And you do see grapplers oftentimes just get nullified and start striking, you know, and if that's the case, I do kind of favor Tabitha Ricci, who's a little bit more technical, like you said, with the striking, the boxing, a little bit faster, just a a better athlete in general and two. But size does mean a lot in women's MMA. We've learned that time and time again. Everything. Um, You know, and I think the move down for Jillian is going to be huge. You talked about she fought very physical girls, man, up at Flyweight. Random Maverick, Talia Santos, you know, and coming down, I thought the performance over Pierre Rodriguez was a pretty good one. Um, she's pretty much spent her entire UFC career as a career in the UFC, pretty much just grinding, getting better, adding a strong resume, and she's a pretty good finisher for the women's division. Um, but there are times where I feel like you know she's kind of suberbus, and if she can't she can't find success getting on top and finding the submission, then she doesn't really have much left for you. But that size could, you know, like you said, be a little bit longer on the feet, man. It could win her a few transition scrambles on the mat, just kind of wind up, you know, on top in Tabitha's guard. I don't personally have any interest in this fight. Um, I don't want to force a bet out of myself, but I do side uh, with Tabitha Ricci to, to get an official pick out of myself. As far as uh, fight for me. This is the fight that I believe the UFC is keeping. Uh looks like Tapology got it first fight of the night. We got Cody Brundage taking on Cedriquez Dumas and uh, hopefully sets the crowd on fire right out the gates, man. Um, Brundage stepping in on short notice uh, for what I, you know, I think is a pretty good fight for him to win. I do have 1.5 units on Brundage, but I got it at minus 115, you know, and that number has since swelled. At one point, I saw minus 220 down to like minus 180 and stuff now, so – you know, we're talking 10 to ten to 15% loss in value. Personally, I would say lay off at this point on the Cody Brundage side. You know, I, I have him about a 58 to 60% here. I think if the guy proactively grapples early, he could look like a bigger favorite. He trains with Josh Frim. They've grain planned for this guy before. Um, I think he knows it's a coming off two stoppage losses. I think he knows it's a, a good fight for himself to potentially get back on track. You look at the guy's two losses and, Mikelo Olazek, we're talking about a guy who spent his career at light heavyweight who's just an absolute monster in round one. Um, and, you know, getting submitted by Adolfo Vieira is never a bad look at all, but it kind of brings me to the possibility of this guy having some bad fight IQ. Uh, or maybe it's just a momentary lapse of, you know, in judgment because typically it's not a concern. But, you know, he lands a good shot on Adolfo Vieira and drops him. I think it was in round two, ra- into round one. Uh, follows him down to the mat, and you know, two minutes later, he finds himself in an arm triangle getting submitted. So it's like I don't think he has near that concern here with Cedric as Dumas, uh, But it is, you know, potentially the guy doesn't have the best fight IQ in the world. Is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Dumas, you know, he's a better athlete. The guy's long. He's got a good kicking game. I'm not necessarily a fan of his striking. He has a good calf kick, but he doesn't really set things up in my in uh, my opinion low-level competition looking online you know he kind of it looks like he trained at Fusion XL with uh, Phil Rowe but I just see one picture there I see uh, a whole lot more pictures of him in a small gym in Pensacola training with not so good looking training partners as I sent you online Uh, you know we've seen the out of octagon issues it just that brings me to question the guy's just overall commitment to it Uh, but you know last time out he came in as a as an undefeated fighter and and a lot of times, and maybe that's just a learning experience for you. You know, the gas tank didn't look too good. Maybe you move forward uh, going up, but it does kind of bring me to another point that, man, I, I, it looked like to me after Josh Friend hit that ridiculous hip toss on him, um, it kind of looked like he gave up to me, man. It looked like when he got held against the fence, he didn't really try to defend the choke. He, he quit trying to work back to his feet, and he, he kind of looked like he had a little bit of quit in him, man. So, uh, I do got Cody Brundage by stoppage here and I do have the under two and a half parlay as well. I think this is an incredible fight. Uh, you on either side. Uh, yeah, I might end up talking about one of the sides actually later on in the podcast.
1: So, uh, I'll keep that to myself, but no, I do think that it's an excellent fight to to highlight for sure. There's no way that this sees the judges scorecards, whether it be from, uh, Cedric Quinton or Cody Brundage making a, a IQ error. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, excellent fight to showcase for sure now we move on to my fighter of the podcast and i'm going with the turd man wellington Turman, <laughs> man. um i knew wellington was young but the fact that he's still only 26 is mind-blowing to me man i it feels like he's already had a good run in the ufc you know <laughs> uh, very up and down success since entering right. the organization going three and four in his fights under the ufc banner um, and I chose Wellington as my fighter to watch because he is attempting to move down a weight class from middleweight and look for success among the 170-pounders 170, 170 in the UFC. Sadly, he drew a, a pretty tough first matchup for his first U- or for his UFC welterweight debut against Randy Brown. Honestly, I think it's fair to say that he should be thankful for even getting another chance, and he might have Glover DeShera to, to thank for that. Uh, Glover is his main training partner and coach. Yeah it seems as if Glover has more faith than anybody that Terman has potential to make a name for himself. Um, Terman like his coach uh, is known for his ground skills. He has a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and about half of his wins come by submission. Um, I actually, you know, wouldn't doubt if the Andre Petroski loss that he had and Petroski's ability to ragdoll him at 185 pounds, um, sparked his decision to move down to this weight class. You know, the, uh, the the reason why it came as such a shock to me that he was doing that was rarely do you see this a fighter this young make a jump up a weight class for 10 consecutive fights and it not be a permanent move. You know, usually it's like um like Chase Hooper or Darren Till come to mind where they just get older and their bodies, you know, it's the natural progression of things for them to move up in weight. Um, but you know, for what it's worth, Wellington. Looks like cutting the extra 15 pounds online was nothing for him. He looks great. Um, Randy Brown, uh, you know, especially after another top uh, loss to a, a top-level guy and um, his last time out, um, after going on that little win streak and then and losing another one, he's kind of solidified himself as a, a journeyman, you know, offering a really fun, unique style that can be difficult for fighters, especially if they struggle getting inside the range. Um, I think Terman is doomed if he tries to keep this fight on the feet with the movement of Brown. Um, but if he does close the distance and find himself on top of Brown, I do think that he could cause a ton of problems for him um, and truly make a statement in this new weight class, which is why he's my fighter
0: to watch. Yeah, you see, we see the fight in similar regards here. Uh, top time for Wellington Terman's there, calf kick for Wellington Terman's there, um, you know, overall power advantage. And then you just throw in the fact that. Randy Brown never covers his price tag as a big favorite. The guy is constantly fighting to a very close fight, even showboating at times, you know. So uh, I wouldn't lay chalk on Randy Brown. And if, uh, you know, if, if Willington Terman was not cutting 15 pounds, uh, I'd be way more inclined to look at him as an underdog as well. Uh, fighter for me, Trevor Peak, no other than our Tennessee boy. Can't talk about the card, not bring the guy up. Uh if the UFC knew anything about what they're doing, this guy would be on the main card on Saturday live for everybody to see. Uh, might not, might be one of the worst fighters skill set wise on the on the roster, truly. Uh, but he is one of the most exciting fighters, um, and as they say, he's he's got that dog in him, you know. Uh, and I, I really hope that they don't do what they did to somebody like a Mike Perry, like Nate Land, where like you brought up, there's there's no need to rush this guy if he does string together three or four wins. Give him fun matchups. Um, don't rush him and, and lose your stock in him. You know, this guy got a 50K bonus the last time out, training full-time now, comes forward, for, just forces a dogfight out of every one of his opponents where, you know, he's just tougher than you, man. The guy's got heart for days. He's hard to put away. The contender series shot, Malik Lewis is, is uh, he is dogging on him, man. And and he's just refusing to go away. Um, and you, you take him down. He refuses to be held down. And you know, it isn't even the most untechnical things as well. He's working his way back to the cage. You know, he's digging under hooks in the last fight against Eric Gonzalez. He even tries for a Kimura from the bottom that he ends up turning into an arm bar that gets him back to his feet. Like he's, he's not lost, man. Um, but if the UFC is not careful with him and they do move him up too quick, I think the guy does have potential to get slept pretty badly. Um, and I do think a good wrestler could cause him some big issues. Short notice replacement, Chepe Mariscal, uh, probably a harder opponent than he originally had, to be honest with you. But coming up a weight class, being TKO'd before. You know, I'm just, uh, I'm not interested in backing him as an underdog anymore. You know, I i think he's just liable to get hit on the feet and TKO'd pretty quickly. And I think on short notice up a weight class, if he tries to wrestle Trevor for too long, he's going to slow himself down and eventually get TKO'd again, man. But uh, this fight has all the reasons in the world to watch it. Trevor Peak's my fighter you can't miss this weekend, though.
1: Yeah, i uh, I totally agree, man. Trevor... Being undefeated, there's a lot of unknowns and finishing all of his fights. There's a lot of unanswered questions. So definitely something somebody, somebody that you got to keep an eye out on. It'll be tough for me not to find a, a bet on him just coming out of Tennessee, man. And I have bet him in the past and it's a wild ride and fun. So um, just from a degenerate standpoint, it's a, it's a good time betting on Trevor.
0: I'll never um, forget in the contender series fight when it goes to the corner after round 1 you say Trevor's got him right where he wants him <laughs> <laughs> it's just perfect it's it's exact representation of how he fights man he can uh, he can Homer Simpson a lot of these wins going forward
1: very much so and i think you know uh, like you touched on if it wasn't that Chepe was uh, wasn't a true featherweight uh, i think that he'd have more of a shot here but um you talked about you hope that the ufc doesn't give him you know too hard of a road to the top he's a 155 man you know this is his his bottom of the barrel right here is chepe and he's at pick so uh really i don't think that there's many fights in the future that are going to be good matchups for trevor but hopefully makes them all exciting and i don't know great great fighter to watch for sure um so for my underdog i was kind of back and forth between a few guys um I talked about Terman enough that I'm not going to make him my underdog. I'll pick somebody else, but I do think that Terman has a really good uh, chance to win. My underdog is going to be Cedric Dumas, and I'm just going (laughs) to rattle off a couple of reasons. Um, First off is this is is a really low-level fight, and for the line to flip this much, I think that there is just automatically... some some good value on Cedric Dumas. This is a toss-up fight. You talked about Cody coming into this fight on short notice. This is in Dumas's backyard. Um Dumas is a a uh, fast starter and when Cody loses, he loses quickly, you know. He he gets caught up in the moment, makes a bad decision, and Cedric Dumas being athletic enough to um, wrap up a guillotine and sell out for it is something that I think that he's rode on a couple times in his career. You know him just being um, so much stronger and and built for fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he's relied on a lot of his natural athleticism. Um, now, all that being said, Cody does have the technical side of this locked up, but mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't mean that he's going to use it right. by any means. Um, this is Cody's first time ever being a favorite in the UFC. And uh, I don't think that I want to trust him in, in, with a favorite price tag. Um, Cedric Dumas, like I said, I just think that it's an odd signing for the UFC to not give him fights that he should be winning. Um, so I do think that this is one of the most winnable fights for him here. So he's my underdog of the week, although um, putting your hard-earned money on, on Cedric Dumas is a tough sell for anybody, man.
0: Yeah, your prop section doesn't come from this fight, does it? no no all right i think fight ends by sub here is super sneaky whatever the line is i haven't looked at it but you talked about is dumas's guillotine i think mm-hmm. it's going to be there with brundage potentially forcing the grappling but there's a world where brundage gets him on the mat and just runs through him and, and finds the easy submission himself so i, I haven't looked that. at the line but uh i really like i think that's a sneaky play on that fight Uh sneaky way that it hits the under uh, underdog for myself I really did struggle to pick one, uh, and I probably likely won't have any action. Um, But I do think the line's a bit inaccurate on the Jamal Emerson, Jack Jenkins side. You can get Jack Jenkins out there at plus 180. And I I do think it could just be a little bit closer. You know, he doesn't have the experience of Emers, who, to be honest with you, man, has fought good competition in the UFC uh, and on the regional scene prior. But it's hard for me to get to the the 70% here on Emers. Like, Jenkins is a tough dude. Uh, and I don't think Emerson is going to finish him. So if you, know, if you can fight to a close decision, still around or something, that, that's potentially all I can ask out of a, a plus 180. So to also see areas where he's good in the clinch and just strong against the fence, I think he's, again, the, the guy with more power, the one who's more likely to finish the fight. He's got nasty leg kicks, and I expect the leg kicks to really find the home of the legs of Jamal. And, you know, he is a taller, lanky guy and, you know, not been an issue for him in the past, but Jenkins slams them in there, man. And if if he lands a few, I could see it. I could see it changing this fight a little bit. So, um, you know, I, have seen some people out there in Emmers and it's understandable when you look at the guy's resume and his athleticism and stuff, but to me, you know, he's not going to finish Jack. Um, and I, I think there's potentially, you know, real good chances goes to the scorecards, and we're looking at some sketchy scorecards, uh, So not as confident in Jack Jenkins as I was Nick Dalby last week, but he is going to be my underdog this week, man.
1: Nice, nice. All right, I just got a a question for you. When an undefeated prospect is tearing through people and they do finally come up to somebody who gives them a good fight, what happens in those fights? Typically get the vet lesson. Get the vet. The, it goes to decision, right? Those vets that are able to drag out the fights longer. Mm-hmm. And so my prop mm-hmm. of the week is something that I hate even saying, but it's Chepe by decision at plus six hundred. Um. That, now yes, it, it's just one true. of these things where Trevor has been able to just mollywop everybody in front of him, but I do question the level of talent that he's facing on the Tennessee regional scene. You know, if I'm being Come completely worden. honest. Come uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So, you know, this, I just feel like it's a really sneaky play. I, I'm, I'm looking at possibly playing Trevor Peak straight up for a couple units and then playing a unit on the Chepe by decision because I do think that if if uh, Trevor is going to get that bet lesson, he's tough enough to withstand anything a 145-er can throw at him. And, uh, you know, it, it might just be him finally running into somebody who will have a little bit more of that technical side that can draw out a fight. Um, that might be like his Achilles heel. So uh Chepe by Decision at plus six hundred is my play. Um I'm not happy about it. It fucking hurts to to play it, but I do
0: already have it played and I'll probably end up locking it in sometime this week. Well, I know a couple of weeks ago the the podcast came down to the prop section and it looked like it might be happening again this week because we're gonna go with Trevor Peak versus- Oh hey, you uh you just cut out, resay it if you can. Also parlayed the under two and a half there, Uh, you know. Hey, winter- you, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, Re- restart restart this section for you. I got you. So with peak and Mariscal, I got it under one and a half at minus 155. And so there's very well potential that uh, our cards, you know, could come to split here. Uh, but I got one unit riding on it, and I also parlayed the under two and a half. So uh, Trevor losing by decision here is going to kill my night. But, uh, you know, win or lose for him. Man, I, you know, Chepe Mariscal by decision at plus 600. I don't think, I think the numbers right because I think Trevor Peaks fights finish around an 80 to 85% clip, you know, just the way the he fights. He's winning, yes. You know, and, um, and personally, uh, I look at the under one and a half and I think it should hit around 65 to 70% of the time. I think that line could be around minus 200. Um, you know, the guy's strong as an ox. Um, He he's definitely at a technical disadvantage on the mat, but he's so strong, man, that you know Chepe. I don't know how long he's you know going to maintain the top time. You know, I I feel like Trevor's going to be able to get back to his feet and eventually tire him out on short notice. But he's definitely going to have his openings, man. Um, The one time Pete did go over one and a half, it's in the Malik Lewis fight, and Malik Lewis whooped his ass in round one. It could have been stopped. And Trevor Peak is on top of him, raining down elbows, and the the ref stops at like five or six seconds over the one and a half range. So Trevor Peak knows nothing but under one and a half, and I hope nothing changes.
1: And uh, yeah, for the Chepe thing, like I don't see a world where Chepe is finishing Trevor Peak. So in the in the ways that Chepe wins it, he only has to like it's a four under fourteen and a half percent implied odds that he gets the decision, and I think he wins a decision like a quarter of the time here, you know. Yeah, nice value on it. Um, what are we at here? Best That's bet, best bet of the card. Sheesh, man. Um, this is a tough one. This is a really tough one. I think I, uh,
0: I'm gonna let you take it, and then I'm gonna pick back up. All right. Uh, best bet for me is going to be Neil Magny. Uh, I did get in at the minus one fifty. He's up to minus 175, but I do think it's a potential buy low spot for Magny, and it's one that, um, you know, I've bet him every single time the UFC does this for him. Every time they give him a step down in competition against Li Jing Liang, Max Griffin, Rocco Martin, D-Rod, I'm cashing on Neil Magny, you know. The, the guy's fault, the who's who of the welterweight division. And in this ma- uh, particular matchup against Phil Rowe, um, you, you know, you can kind of say Neil Magny's kind of getting his size matched for the first time. But this is the first time the young prospect in Phil Rowe, who's got the much shorter amount of fights, is going to see someone who matches him in size. And it's going to take away that big advantage. He really. What's the kryptonite to Neil Magny, the guy's last few losses? Uh, they come to talented grapplers like Michael Kiesa, Gilbert Burns, and Shavkat and. The last time he was stopped on the feet was Santiago Ponzinibbio five years ago, a prime Santiago on like a seven-fight win streak and stuff. So no Mag is not getting finished but by high-level fighters. But when I watch Roe, I see a guy who constantly gets his back stuck on the fence, someone who gives up ground, and that's where Neil Mag is going to look to take this fight. He loves to force the cage control. So if you're just going to put your back there for him, he's going to take you there. He's going to beat you up in the clinch. He's going to drain your gas tank. Rose has been taken down over and over again, um, even with the generous run of opponents, you know. Uh, I think Neil Madney could find success digging the underhooks, taking them down, tripping them down to the mat. Um, when I when I look at who Phil Rose beaten, you know, Jason Witt can't take a gust of wind on the chin anymore. Koski and Nico or, you know, they Koski straight gassed out after taking him down a whole bunch. And then the third round. I mean, Nico is all, over, uh, is all over Phil Rowe and literally takes one step back and is dog-tired and then just can't even take a shot anymore, man. And I don't think you have to worry about those cardio issues with Neil Magny whatsoever. You throw in Phil Rowe's weight-cutting issues, he's just going to get behind on activity and ma- uh, volume with Neil Magny here. So, like always, um, even when you lay some, some chalk on him, you do know it's probably going to be by decision. The D-Rod was kind of an anomaly there in the third round. Uh, but I think this is too big of a step up for Phil Rowe right now, and I uh, I got Magny to take a pretty clear-cut decision. I like
1: the Magny play. I'm, I'm looking – you know, it's completely against what you just said, but I'm looking at actually playing him inside the distance. There's a pretty good number floating around, like plus four, it is. 450 or something, 425. Yeah. And I do. I think it's a huge step up for Rowe, and he's fighting somebody who uh, might put him into some tricky positions. Magny might give him the vet lesson. so. Uh, definitely like it as the best bet uh, for my best bet, man, you know, it's difficult not to make it a prop. So just straight best bet. I think Tabitha Ritchie has Jillian Robertson covered. I, I do think that she's the the much better fighter. Like I said, it's going to take seeing her on weigh-in days and face-offs to just yeah. not be at like a huge size disadvantage, but I don't see how I don't find a, uh, a play on Tabitha Ritchie here. I really do give her the edge everywhere. Even in looks, so uh, (laughs) most definitely in looks. Most definitely in looks. Um, So yeah, I'll pick Tabitha Richie here as my best bet. Nice. Uh, Moving on to our quick pick section of the night. Uh, We'll start off uh, with a disagreement, I believe. Right first, uh, first fight of the night. uh, Middleweight Cody Brundage taking on Cedriquez Dumas. Uh, I'll be taking
0: SD Dumas. I do got Cody Brundage, but I, I do want to reiterate the fact that I, I got him at a basically pick and price tag at like a fifty fifty-two, fifty-three percent or something, you know. So I'm not one of these people out here laying almost two to one on Brundage and would never be that uh but I do, I do hope he comes through for me. And I think it's a fun fight to kick off the night. Um and then yet again, they always do this early in the card for the Japan crowd. We got Tattoo Tyra taking on Clifton Rodriguez. Uh I'm gonna go with Tyra. Um you know, you said it's plus EV playing this probably in flyweights going, you know, all the time. But I think the over one and a half at minus 165 is, uh, is a decent look here. I think they're both good prospects. I, and I think if tight zero does find the submission finish, it's going to be later after we see Klitson kind of slow down. So uh, I, I think that hits the one over, over one and a half at a decent clip. But Tyra's the pick for sure. Yeah, uh
1: Tyra's definitely the pick. And yeah, the only way that I see that not happening is if uh, Tyra comes out here and walks through Clidzen Rodriguez, which uh, I've heard plenty of takes to tell me that that's not going to happen. So, um, you know, I, I've got Tyra here, but it might not be as easy as um,
0: as the odds is.
1: opening odds suggested, at least at minus 400. Um, we go up to featherweight where we see Jamal Lemmers taking on Jack Jenkins. Uh, I agree that there are some things that, you know, Jack Jenkins can get those leg kicks working. He is live as could be for an underdog, but I do think that Jamal Emmers is the more well-rounded, more proven guy. I'm going to fall back on uh,
0: Emmers here, dude. Yeah, yeah and it's uh, I don't I don't know if I actually find myself uh playing Jack Jenkins. It's just one of those where um I think if I could just play out a little bit closer than plus 185 suggest. Uh, so for the purposes of the podcast, I'll take my underdog and Jack Jenkins. Uh, moving on up, please send it up the card by Saturday, man. Trevor Peake taking on Chepe Mariscal. Tennessee boy, uh, first-round knockout.
1: Yeah, I'm going for uh, Trevor Peake as well. I think that he could just overwhelm this little guy early, and it'd be nice if he could get that that dub. It, would. it does extend. I've got some some coverage, but, you know, <laughs> I'm going for Trevor Peak. Don't get that any, you know. Don't get, don't get it twisted. Bad yeah right. Uh, moving down to flyweight Zalgus Sumagula finally um, versus Joshua van. I can't trust Zalgis at this price tag. Last week he was my best bet. Um, I had him at minus 150 and still felt a little <laughs> gross about it, you know <laughs> but at minus 190 it was a pretty easy layoff spot so um, even though this might even be an easier uh, matchup for him, it's tough. I, I can't find myself laying two to one on
0: Zalgus with his with his past performances. So Zaugus is the pick. Yeah, you better not ever lay two to one on Zalgus Zumagulov, you know. Uh I, I think he's the pick though. Uh but I'll never do that, that's for sure. Uh he's always somebody I'm looking to fade. Uh Tabitha Ricci versus Jillian Robinson. Uh not the same conviction as you, uh, but Tabitha is my pick as well.
1: Yeah, Tabitha Ritchie's the pick, especially if she looks like she up sizes up well against Jillian. Um moving up, Mateusz Rebecki versus Loik Radzabov. Um I'm going Mateus Rebeki.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh same side for me. And this is the this is the one that I might tape a little bit, uh a little bit more tonight, tomorrow or something before the fights, because I think there might still be some value on the Rebecca line. I think the guy's got the superior gas tank um, and could just just make it a dirty grinding fight that Loic just kind of can't keep up with. Uh, I don't know. Loic's just kind of got that competition and resume edge on him. It's kind of one of the things keeping me off. Loic also, Tajikistan, you don't want bet, to bet against them right now. I know yeah. that sounds crazy, but you don't. <laughs> yeah, they do have a couple good fighters coming through the ranking right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Randy Brown, Wellington Terman. I'm gonna side with Randy Brown because there's a you know obvious red flags around Terman, but I don't know if this was like a 180 or you know 178. It wasn't I 15 might,
1: whole pounds. Yeah,
0: right. I, no. I might take Terman, but it for a guy who's been knocked out bad in the past. Um, and you talked about it. Typically, you're not 26 years old switching weight classes and stuff. Ten, so,
1: it's, Ten fights, he moved up to middleweight.
0: So it's uh, it seems like he's searching for answers a little bit. I don't like to back that. Randy Brown's going to be the pick.
1: Uh, Wellington determines the pick for me, man. I think he could look minus 400 if he gets this fight to the mat quick. Um, I think he'll yeah. clear strength advantage. So that's kind of what I'm expecting to see here is if he is able to get the fight to the mat. Randy Brown has never been somebody who physically is impressive with his strength um but if he if he is able to circle around that octagon he could look like the minus 250 that he is uh wellington termins the pick for me though i think he'll find him um and and glover's somebody i like taking under his wing and you know all that good uh staying in the same weight class neil magny versus phil rowe um i share a lot of the same opinion as you i think neil magny's the side here um decision's probably how it's going to get done but I do think that this is a huge step up for Roe and um, you know Magny doesn't get
0: finishes ever so it's kind of a sneaky play
1: I think that he could do it here yeah
0: and you know Phil Rose doesn't have the best gas tank either so mm-hmm. Magny turns it up on him uh, finishes live and if he didn't make me sweat the decision that would be awesome Neil Magney Magny for the pick and the prelim headliner Starting off the co-main, Brendan Allen, Bruno Silva, killer fight. One that I'm thinking about betting the under in just because it's a complete clash of styles, man, you know. Um, and Brendan Allen can get knocked out pretty damn easily, shown in the past. And Bruno Silva, I believe, has uh, about six mission losses or something like that on his record. So that's minus 180. Um, I don't know if it's a trap, you know. Um, I'm kind of torn. It it almost seems like a trap to me. I'm going to go Brendan Allen, tempted on the under two and a half
1: um yeah bruno silva was the dog i was considering um i just you know i don't have much faith in Allen. i think even though he's on this four fight winning streak he's one of the more unpredictable fighters and i really hate laying juice on him um so you know Allen will be the pick here i think that he he has the higher ceiling for sure at this point in their career so i'll take Allen, but i I wouldn't uh, actually play it this one's interesting right here. David Onama versus Gabriel Santos. I think I'm on Onama. And I know that sounds crazy. I, I should have made him my uh, my dog. I just haven't looked at this fight a- enough. But I do think Onama just drew a couple of really tough guys. Like Nate Landwehr, for example. He, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if he finishes that fight early, he looks like a minus 1,000. We're not really talking about him like this, you know? So. Yeah. Um, I, I think David Onama is a whole lot better than what they're giving him credit for. I saw somebody with a plus 285. Ticket. I was just
0: about to say, did you get plus 285?
1: <laughs> on David Onama. And if I, if I could have gotten those odds, you I, you bet your sweet ass there would be a unit on him right now. Um, he's at plus 190 right now. I think if I could get a two in front of that number, I'd feel a little bit more comfortable. And I might could find me a play on Onama.
0: My Gabriel Santos does get hit. And Onama does have some power, but I, I do think Onama can get taken down by Gabriel Santos at the same time. Um, there's always that chance because we've seen it time and time again where these debutants come in and just kind of, you know, overperform like Victor Henry and Barcelos, first fight, just the yep. best performance of his career. You know, Gabriel Santos flying over to London on short notice Maybe it's the best performance that we're ever going to get out of them, and I just don't know. So I have laid off this fight, but um, to make it interesting, I'll side with the other one, uh, the other side, and Gabriel Santos. Low-level heavyweights on the main card. UFC can't help themselves, man. Justin Tava versus Austin Lane. I do want to mention one thing. It is. I guess karma is the word for it. You know, Greg Hardy knocking out Austin Lane on the Contender Series and now look at these guys' careers. Greg Hardy has just knocked out three or four fights in a row. You got Austin Lane making his UFC debut. It's bittersweet, man. Uh, I do think he might be a little bit too reckless. Uh, I think he's going to rush things and get caught by Justin Taffa, though. Uh, he's definitely a superior athlete in size, but uh, I got—I think I got to side with Justin Taffa.
1: I don't know, man. This is, this is really tough. Yeah. Don't I like to, use on Taffa. <laughs> right. Right. And right. I hate to boil anything. That's not a women's fight down to sheer size, but I mean, it is something you got to cap into this one. And Justin Taffa has never really been that great. You know, he's, he's always been somebody who doesn't have very many fights. The fights that he does have, they're not entirely impressive or they surely don't last very long. So you don't get to see like a, a well-rounded skill set. Um,
0: he did get outstruck for three rounds by Vandera, too, dude.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, you're you're asking for it. You deserve everything coming to you if you laid the juice on Tafa. Uh, <laughs> I'll pick him, but it's yeah. You know, I, I would I would not be playing anything on this on this fight for sure. Now uh, moving up to the co-main event, Amanda Hebas taking on Macy Barber. I got Amanda Hebas. I wish. Uh, that I could like find a way to play her that's not laying two to one on her money line, but um, I, you know, I'm not sure. I might just lay off of this one as well. Amanda Hebos is the pick, though. Maybe yeah. we put her in a parlay or something,
0: right? Yeah, Amanda Hebos is the pick for me. I told you earlier in the week I was thinking about making like a just a like a super you know nice parlay with these people like Amanda Hebos minus one ninety, uh, Rebetsky minus one forty, just to get like a, a real nice number out of it to try to hit a home run because. I do want to find a way to play Rebus like you, man. I, I do think she's the clear side here. I, I looked at a decision plus 100. Um, even that's just not tempting enough for me, man. Uh, but Amanda Rebus is going to be the pick. And to the main event, man, Josh Emmett versus Ilya Teporia. I mean, this is one of the one of the better fights, like you said, the UFC featherweight division could have put together at this time. And um, I think Ilya Teporia is on the fast track to being a – a top five featherweight. I don't know if he gets past like the Max Holloways of the world, the Volkanovskis, or something, but uh, I do think he's um, going to get through Josh Emmett on Saturday.
1: Yep, I uh, I totally agree, man. I think that it, it could be a super interesting fight, especially if Josh is able to clip him early. Uh, I'd love to see just like that that uh, bull red mentality from Ilya Teporia and him go straight berserker mode. Uh, with Josh in it. I think that that'd be guaranteed fireworks. So looking forward to it on Saturday, and I'm picking uh, Ilya Taporia as well. Nice, man.
0: It's 14 total fights. We've talked the best ones. We've talked our favorite bets on the card, as always. Hopefully they stay together, man, because uh, it's a pretty solid showing, to be honest with you, in Jacksonville on Saturday. I'm excited for them. Prelim start at 1130 Eastern time in the morning. Love us some day fights, and uh, be back next week to break down next week's card. Give you guys some bets. Peace.